I'm your indie fantasy author, Melinda Cusera, and I'm back today with another episode of Fantasy Lore and More. Today, Deborah Jarvis is back, and we're going to talk about her other book, Worlds Running. Uh, she was here back in the middle of August to talk about the Crystal Pond, so maybe we'll get an update on that. We'll see. Welcome, Deborah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so no, uh, the Crystal Pond's doing fine, and we, we definitely, I mean, the second book in that series got onto audiobook, and I was just mentioning in June, um, so the two of those are on Audible now, um, and we're looking to get Wolves Running up onto audiobook format in the next few months, so that's going to be uh, the third one that we've gone, and we've got up and running. So we've got a, a really good audiobook narrator by the name of Cassandra Cherry, and she's uh, she's up and coming. She's doing a lot of good work. Oh, tell tell her what you told me that that who's, who's oh she's related to. Yeah, she's C.J. Shera's niece, which I just thought that was great because I happened to see C.J. Shera post on one of her posts on Facebook, and I said, "Oh, that's super cool." I'm not going to fangirl all over that, but I did ask her, and and she was like, um, "Yeah, no, it's not something we talk about a lot, but that's that's true." So I thought that was really cool. That is very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about wolves running. Okay. What are they running from? <laughs> or are they running to something? Well, it's it's an interesting one. Uh it's it's an interesting title because about the same about the same time that uh I undertook writing this, there was um there was a movie that came out, and it's one of the Irish trilogy that came out for, um, uh, I think it was on Apple TV and it was super good and really, really good. Um, of course I can't think of the title of it right now. It's gone right out of my head, but for whatever reason, there was one of the songs in that, uh, particular movie that was running with the wolves. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. There's a ton of books called running with the wolves. When I, so when I started working on the story, I'm like, what could I do with it? And I'm like, well, it's kind of a story of, um, shapeshifters who are just becoming known to people and they're just coming into people's consciousness and they've kind of, they've come out, they've announced themselves to the world, but they're still kind of having to dodge people. And the main character is, um, ironically enough, I, she ended up as a teacher uh, because I do teaching and do English, but she's a biology teacher. So she's definitely not me. I think I'm one of the older characters in the book, which would totally be suitable if I'm anybody, um, well, the English teachers, but the main character, Sasha Wellington, she's still hiding who she is. She hasn't come out and she's got a, a friend who recently, you know, like at the beginning of the book discovers that he's also a wolf. Um, and there's all different shape changers, all different shape, uh, different animals, you know, and there's a whole mythology that gets wrapped up in um, with how they became what they are. So it's not your typical werewolf one. It's not your typical kind of, you know, pack oriented. Oh, everybody is like, oh, the alpha. It's not that. It's definitely based more on my my biology background with my understanding of animals and, and the, the natural world. So, oh, wow. yeah. So I think the, the wolves running kind of came in where she's still kind of hiding from her past and she's still kind of hiding who she is and trying to keep ahead of uh, her, you know, her ex-boyfriend who they start off at the beginning of the book together, but it quickly devolves and it was devolving anyway, just because he was kind of anti shapeshifter and she's like, I can't, I just can't keep going with this because it's not going to work. Yeah, no, that that's a big, 
That's a big red flag. There. Oh yeah, definitely a big red flag. Um, wow. So, and it, it kind of goes from there. So it's it's a neat story. I really enjoyed writing it. Um, I was home teaching from home in 20 and 21. I was one of the one of the teachers who stayed home to teach the kids who were also remote. Some of the kids were in school. Some of us who had health conditions and we were a little concerned about going in. They're like, you guys teach from home. So I was one of the ones who taught from home that year. And because I wasn't driving to and from school and attending 6,000 meetings and running clubs and doing all the things I'm doing now, I had a little bit of extra time. So I'd get my grading done and then I might do some writing done. And I had, um, it was over Christmas break, right into the beginning of January, 2021, when I had a dream one night and it was just this really cool dream where I was a, a wolf, but I, you know, I knew I was a person, but I wore a collar so I could kind of hide that I was a wolf, looked like a big dog and, you know, dreamed about a, a friend of mine who suddenly discovered. So the, the plot devolved from that or evolved from that dream. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own. So when I wasn't grading or teaching online or wasn't doing something else school related because I taught at the college too online um, that I teach at, when I wasn't doing the things for my job, I was writing. And I mean, I would get up first thing in the morning and write and I'd get up, you know, stay up late at night and write. And then I get up the next morning and I write. And so it kind of became uh, one of those things where any spare moment, because I wasn't going out, I wasn't going out to dinner, I wasn't visiting friends, I wasn't doing 6,000 things like we normally do again now, um, or a lot of us normally do again now, clubs running at school, things like that, I was writing. And that became basically two and a half months of my life where I just cruised through the story and then went, oh, and my editor, <laughs> my editor was going to murder me. I'm pretty sure she was going to murder me because we were supposed to be editing the Ivory Queen and I couldn't stop writing. And she's like, we need to get back to editing. We need to get back to it. I'm like, no, I have to write this. And she, she was so mad. She wouldn't, she wouldn't even talk about what I was writing. She wouldn't talk about wolves running at all. Um, she did finally calm down after we got through editing the Ivory Queen that summer. And she's like, okay, let's take a look at what you've got. And then we started going through Wolves Running and she actually really likes it. Um, you know, she got into it once we, once she get over the mad, she got into it and she very much um, enjoys the story. And we had a lot of fun, you know, fixing it. And we got to the last bit of the book, you know, probably the last maybe three, five chapters, something like that. And we both are like, we hate this. We both hated the end. So totally ripped it apart. It was supposed to come out August. Uh, last year, totally ripped the end apart and it ended up coming out last November because it took us another couple of months. But I really like the ending much better the way it came out. And I think it needed that ending to have it really resolve properly. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's quite the story. Like it, the book had its own adventure. <laughs> it, it really did. It really did. And, uh, you know, the, the cool thing, and I think I might have mentioned it in the in the other interview is um, <laughs> I had never been out. It's set in Colorado and Boulder. I'd never been there. And this past June, a friend of mine and I went out on a trip out to, um, out to Colorado and we got to go to Boulder and we went to a lot of the places that I wrote about in the book, which I just thought was so fun. You know, it's like, Oh, I wrote about this restaurant that I randomly picked from a list of restaurants and saw some pictures of. So we went there. 
You know, it's like, oh, okay, the house is on this road that I picked randomly while looking at maps. I think it was long, was it Longview? It's it's one of the, it's not Boulder, but it's right next door. And so the house that they end up getting is like right over here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we actually drove to the street that the house would have been on. It's it's not, it doesn't exist in that spot, but there's a gap in the numbers between the houses. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to pick right here in the middle of this <laughs> Put a fictional hall. house here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a really crowded neighborhood too. So there's not even a, a, a hint that a house could fit there. So it's like, you've got house, you've got house, you've got this little speck of lawn. I'm like, so it's there, but it's this really cool Victorian style house. Um, so, you know, just something that's, that's really cool. Okay. So really, really neat. So there's that. Um, you know, and we got to do that and we drove up into some of the areas that the story takes place in and, and had a really cool time. And I got to ride on the back of a motorcycle all day going through Colorado when we went on a trip to Pikes Peak. So a lot of fun, but I got to actually visit the world of my story. And I think that was that was the most important part of that. How did you decide to set this in Colorado? I don't know. I just knew there were mountains in, in the, the dream. And so because there were mountains in the dream, I said, well, they don't look like the stuff around here in New Hampshire. They don't look like, you know, Mount Washington. They don't look like anything like that. Well, I guess um, Colorado. And I think there was something in the back of my head because I've always loved Stephen King's The Stand. And he said it in Boulder. And I'm like, well, that was always fascinating to me is to, you know, this this town that he writes about and this area that he writes about. And I don't know, it just sort of must have come to the back of my head. Okay, I guess we're doing Boulder. And I started researching, started looking up what Boulder's actually like. So I had a lot of fun with that. Um, it got to the point where the uh, the algorithm through Google thought I was moving there because I was looking <laughs> up health prices and furniture stores and local schools and all of the, the demographics that I wanted to include in the story, you know, because she's a teacher. What are we going to do with the school, you know? So I had a lot of fun with that, but it started showing me ads for like, oh yeah, go to this furniture store and you should check out this grocery store and yeah, come visit this particular restaurant. I'm like, I don't live there, but apparently it got thinking I was spending so much time that I was moving or something. Or maybe that you were going to visit. I'm like, or visit or something. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking house prices, it thinks you're going to move. Yeah. So that, that kind of was, you know, looks at schools, looks at things. Oh, she must be moving with a family, you know? And uh, it was actually really funny. My husband decided that he was going to get in on the game and he starts looking up like divorce, divorce lawyers. <laughs> so he starts looking that up. I'm looking up, you know, houses and schools. He's looking up divorce lawyers. He started getting hits from like dating sites. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> the two of us were dying. We're like, well, now we know how the algorithm actually thinks, you know, woman's going to get all the furniture stores and the men's going to get the dating sites. So that's Once we wild. stopped looking at all that, it all went away. But it was funny for a while. Just like, okay, what? How are we fooling the algorithm today? That's so funny. It was a blast. So funny. <laughs> so wild. That, yeah, that's, I can't get over that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so remember, now you can know. play with the algorithms on your computer and see what it will do for you. Yeah. Yeah, so if you don't like what you're seeing from Google, <laughs> look for the stuff you wanted to show you. Pretty much, pretty much. Or be careful what you search for, I guess, might be the motto of this story. I, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. 
Um, you... So Boulder was as pretty as, as I thought it would be. And the area around it was gorgeous. And we got up into the Rocky Mountain National Forest. And that kind of also ties in with some of the parts of the story. And it's like, okay, that's what the roads look like. And, you know, and my friend, when we were on the motorcycle, he decided he had to go really fast through some of the curves, which did not go well for my stomach by that point. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun trip. It was a fun trip. That's so wild that you were you were seeing Colorado on motorcycle, <laughs> not yeah. even from within a car. No, well, we rented a car too, but we, he wanted to do a motorcycle for the days, and he took it up Pikes Peak. I'm not that brave. I took the Cog Railway, and went up Pikes Peak nice and slow to the top, where there's like 40 percent less oxygen, which was really unnerving. Um, but he, he met me up at the top. He's like, "Yeah, no, you wouldn't have enjoyed being on the bike." I'm like, "Probably not." No. Probably not. So and they that, met me back down the bottom and we went back up to, to Boulder. That's pretty wild. I, I've never been to Colorado, so I can only this imagine. For me too. This was a first. I'd never been out there. So, you know, it was neat to kind of see what it really looks like. I'm going to have to go now. That sounds pretty wild. <laughs> you know, aside from the mountains, a lot of it's just crazy flat. It really, really? is or just very gently rolling hills. It's, it's really is. It's high prairie, I think, or high desert. Um, and we actually saw prairie dogs and some other things out there. So it was pretty cool. That's, that's really wild. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to read us an excerpt of the book? Yeah, I definitely will read an excerpt from the book and kind of take a look at things. Um, so I was kind of thinking about starting around the beginning. Okay. It's up to you kind of reading like the the beginning of the story um maybe get into a little bit of um a little bit of the trip that they have to take going to her parents house because well you'll see i'll get into this all right chapter one the cry of the wolf the secret was out three months ago sam winston and a group of shapeshifters had gone public then disappeared into some government protection program the suddenness of the move left us all speechless. Many of my people felt betrayed by this action. Some were frightened, some excited, and all who lived within the city environs worried about what would happen next. There was no going back. The world now knew about shapeshifters. People knew about us. When I heard the news, I groaned in disbelief and stared out of my apartment window. The city of Boulder and its buildings sprawled across the landscape, but beyond the mountains called home to my family, my pack. Oh, there were quite a few of us who lived here in Boulder. It was easy to exist in compared to other cities I had chosen to live in. I lived there, though, because I wanted to be around people. I was one of the more gregarious wolves and early in my 20th year had found my calling teaching biology. Now, 10 years later, I was the proud owner of a master's degree diploma with my name, Sasha Wellington, emblazoned upon it. A group of wonderful current students in my classes and quite a few former students who kept in touch long after their high school days had ended. One of those students had become a good friend. I met John Arndt while doing my practicum where, he, where I would eventually be hired. I was in charge of his last class of the day, AP Bio. John was a senior and somewhat of a loner. During the five months I worked as my cooperating teacher, John and I talked after the bell about anime, movies, and comics that we were both passionate about. But I maintained a professional remove. 
When my time as a student teacher ended and John graduated, though, we evolved into close friends and started hanging out whenever we had time. My boyfriend, a human named Rich, tolerated John coming over to watch movies at our apartment with good grace. Rich was pretty nice as humans went. He was courteous and made sure to include me in his group of friends when he found out I really didn't know many people in the city. I had spent several holidays with his family, and they all seemed like decent people. I also knew that John's friendship was in, he also knew that John's friendship was important to me. And when I had reassured his male ego that John was not a threat in any way to our relationship, Rich even tried to engage him in conversations about football. These mostly fell flat because John had as little interest in sports as I did. As for John, he never indicated any romantic inclination towards me. Well, we talked about his interest in girls and minimal success he had in dating, his quirkiness and intelligence were an off-putting combination for most women his age. With me, though, he was content discussing our joint fascination with the latest Marvel movie or Miyazaki film. I commiserated with him in his dating travails, but focused more on our common interest. I think he appreciated it. Not many outside my family knew I was a shapeshifter. After listening to Rich's comments about the revolution of the tribes, I knew I would not be able to tell him the truth. The fact that he had to work through um, that he had to work through my family's upcoming New Year's party was something of a relief to the whole clan. Rich's negative opinion was also held by a number of my co-workers, and many parents were suspicious that shapeshifters existed among the teaching staff. For a while, PTA meetings resolved around saving the children from the monsters and that sort of garbage. District administrators were adamant that none of their staff was shapeshifters. They didn't know about me or the Corby who taught English. And we both intended to keep it that way. As for John, I knew his thoughts were much kinder in that regard, but I didn't want to risk our friendship. I almost told him a number of times. Almost. In the end, I always chickened out. Not long after Sam's reveal, I went to visit my family. They were of the opinion that being discovered was an inevitable consequence of society being so interconnected. My mother reiterated her desire for me to move home, but I just shrugged and stated that as long as no one knew, I was safe. I reminded her that there was a secluded place for me to run in the woods outside the city. Most people couldn't tell a husky from a wolf at a distance, and I bought a bright red collar that I wore just in case when I ran. It was rather large if human me wore it, but when I became a wolf, it fit snugly enough. No problems for me that way, other than the occasional reported sightings of a large dog of unusual size running loose in the woods. One afternoon during my Christmas break, John and I sat watching a new anime that both of us were into. It was the third episode of the Gun Gale Online series, and we were comparing it to the original Sword Art Online, but loudly bickering about the differences in style and theme. I was a huge fan of the first season of SAO, but John was totally into the Gun Gale series. How much of that sushi are you going to eat, I asked, watching him stuff another piece of exotic maki roll into his mouth. We had ordered a fairly substantial amount of maki rolls and sashimi to devour during his visit. At 27, he was still pretty gangly, and though well, he hadn't outgrown his appetite for copious amounts of food, he never seemed to gain a pound. As for myself, my metabolism ran fast, which tended to keep my weight down, but I had cut myself back a bit and was eating more fish and lean meats. What about you, he countered after swallowing 
rice wrapped roll. How much do you plan to eat? By my count, it's been like, what, an entire fish since we started? And you're counting why, I asked, menacing him with my chopsticks. No reason, he said. Remember, fish are friends, not food. Ha ha, I said, turning back to watch the episode. Eat your seaweed salad and let me enjoy the show, will you? He made a noncommittal noise and we went back to watching the cute little girl blow everything up with her giant gun. It was hilarious. At about four o'clock that afternoon, though, John suddenly made an odd noise and I looked over at him. He turned very pale. His skin appeared clammy and his eyes had taken on a glazed cast. John, you okay? I asked. I'm not feeling at all well, he said, his voice shaky. Mind if we finish this another day? Of course, I said, rising as he moved unsteadily towards the hall closet to get his coat. I'll call you, he said, and almost ran out of the apartment into the darkening stairwell. Rich poked his head out of the office after the door slammed. Sasha, what's up with him? I'm not sure, I replied. He said he didn't feel well. I'm going to go check on him. I'll be back in a bit. I grabbed my purse, jammed my feet into my boots, and left the apartment, pulling my coat on as I went. Though my nose was not as sensitive as it was in my wolf form, I could tell there was something off about John's scent. He didn't smell sick, not in an illness type of way, but he didn't smell like himself. The hallway of the apartment building held the odor long enough for me to dissect it. I blinked repeatedly when I registered what it was and then bolted out the door. Now, normally, when one of the wolf clan is born, at least one of our parents is well aware that we have shapeshifter blood. More often, the parents or shifters or human partner knows about it. Clan is super important to the wolves. Family is everything. When we come to our time to change, and not all do, we have guides and plenty of instruction as to what is happening. Some come to it early, like at puberty. Some, though, it don't come to it until very late. And it can be an unnerving surprise for the person who has come to accept that they would never change. On very rare occasions, however, a lone wolf will have a relationship with a human, which can result in a single human mother raising the child alone, or, in the case of a female wolf, a child often left at an orphanage. I knew John was adopted at an early age, with no claim to who his parents were, but he'd always smelled human. That was pretty typical of late bloomers, too. I had to find John now, fast. He had been not been raised in a pack. He'd been raised by humans who were never quite sure how to manage his startling intelligence. I knew from listening to him that he was not likely to get a lot of sympathy from his parents, as he'd told me several times about their negative comments about shapeshifters. Even though it was cold out, the outside air was very cold and bore the scent of a pending snowstorm, I could still catch his scent when I reached the street. There was also a tinge of fear to his smell, the beginnings of panic. I followed my nose as the first flakes began to fall, noticing that John had not taken his car, which was wise of him. If my own experience was any indication, he would most likely be feeling dizzy and nauseous right now. The world would seem like it was swimming, and he would be confused by the sudden assault to his senses. He would probably seek some dark, quiet place to hide. I know I did. I was ten when I first changed, and I hadn't wanted to come out of my closet for a week. His scent trail led to the dark alley between two of the festively bedecked buildings a little way down the block. Full dark had come, and the alleyway was cloaked in shadows. 
My eyes adjusted quickly, another perk even in human form, and I saw that a large cardboard refrigerator box lay on its side next to the dumpster behind the convenient mart. A dark shadow shuddered within, a low cry echoing out of the box. I crouched down at the open end of the carton and peered in to see John curled in a fetal position at the back. His eyes had a feral gleam in the dim light, and he stared at me with something akin to terror. Get away, he growled through grunched teeth. Go, well, you can, go. I shook my head and crawled out into the box on all fours. It's all right, John, I said. Stop fighting it. It's going to be okay. No, he grated. I'm not all right. I feel like I'm on fire. I made my way to where he lay huddled against the back of the box and sat down next to him. I touched his forehead. He was right. He was burning hot. He reached up and grabbed my hand, clutching it in both of his own. He was shaking so hard I could hear his teeth rattle. I read somewhere that this was what it felt like before one became a monster, he said, shuddering and freezing the whole time. You need to run, Sash. I don't want to hurt you. Great. I thought some moron shifter had given an interview to a journalist and the media had blown the whole thing out of proportion. Typical. John, I said, you're going to have to trust me. You're not a monster. What is happening to you is normal. You have to stop fighting it, though, or it'll just get worse. Normal, he gasped out. This is normal? For a shapeshifter, yes, I said, hesitating only a moment before saying, I've been through it myself. He glanced up at me with eyes like new crescent moons. A dawning realization grew within them, and I nodded to his unspoken question. Yes, I said. So you have to trust me now. You know me. You know who I am. Let the change take you. You will still be you. You um, might have some problems with your clothes feeling confining, though, so try not to struggle when you change. I'll be right here. He shuddered and keeping his eyes on mine, stopped resisting. The change was so sudden it was almost explosive. One second there had been a frightened man huddled on the ground, the next a gangly black wolf dressed in baggy clothing, utterly spent, lay panting next to where I knelt. He continued to watch me, whining as he breathed, but he did not struggle and stayed still, head resting on the cardboard floor of the box. It's going to be a few before you can become human, I said. You need to rest a little while. I first changed when I was 10, and it's been a decade or two, but I remember how exhausting it was. I also resisted my first change. My parents knew what I was, though, and had prepared me for it. I'm guessing one of your parents was also a shapeshifter, but you had no one to tell you about it except jerks on the Internet who don't know anything. He heaved a huge sigh and glanced up at me again, the question in his eyes plain. Well, of course I'm going to help you, idiot, I said, smiling. What, you think I'm just going to let you go it alone? No way. He closed his eyes and let himself relax a bit more. I gently touched his forehead and his eyes snapped open, unaware, unsure. Everything feels different with fur, I said. Your whole body is going to be sensitive to just about anything. A light breeze, a dandelion seed, everything. Your nose tells you a hundred times more than it used to. This box isn't all that dark, is it? There's a rat behind the trash cans that you can hear much better than I can. But you know, I joked, with great power comes great responsibility. 
John lifted his head to look at me and gave a sudden snort that visibly startled him and made me laugh. See, I said, you're still you and I'm still me. The essential you doesn't change, just the external packaging, which occasionally likes to get all furry and go for a run in the forest. John lowered his head back down, snorting through his nose. When you feel up to it, visualize yourself back in your own body. The change might be a little sluggish this soon, but you should be able to manage it. Take your time. This isn't a race. A few minutes later, John managed to get back into human form. He seemed exhausted and without warning broke into huge sobs. He sat up and gathered. I gathered him into my arms, holding him and comforting him as much as I could. We sat like that inside the box for a long time as the snow swirled down, hissing as it landed on the cardboard above our heads. John finally calmed himself enough to sit back a bit and dry his eyes. I handed him a clean tissue from my pocket as he tried to pull himself back together. So what do I do now? He asked, sniffing. I feel like my whole life is over. It absolutely isn't. We're going to go see someone, I said, as I pulled out my phone. She'll help put you to rights. I called a number I kept on my favorites list, grinning as the line was picked up. Nevermore, put on the tea kettle. I need a safe place for me and a new pup to talk. Student, she asked. Prior, I said, grinning. You'll never guess who. I'll put the kettle on, she said, and hung up. Nevermore, John asked, raising an eyebrow. Well, yes, I said. What else do you call a literary Corby? So that's chapter one. I like that. And by literary Corby, does she turn into a crow or? Uh, a raven. A raven. That's why the name Nevermore. So it's the English teacher. Yeah. Ah, uh, I like yeah, that. That's what we call <laughs> Corby. Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Oh, this, this book was so much fun to write. And I, I really just kind of went with wherever it took me, especially, and, and just kind of like, okay, what's going on with this story? Let's figure out what's going to happen. And a lot of it just kind of told itself. It really was was wonderful that way. That was a really powerful scene, though. Like, it's, the, it's you know, good in the box. I, I didn't know you could have such a powerful scene in like a cardboard box. <laughs> I also write epic <laughs> fantasy, so we don't exactly have cardboard, so I well, don't get true. to write about people hanging out in cardboard boxes all that often, <laughs> or ever actually. But um... <laughs> I mean, now you know that cardboard boxes can be a thing. I mean, sir, I did. I had. I'm missing out here. I need to get some cardboard boxes, story, <laughs> and some people chilling in them for reasons. God. I'm watching. I've got a cat, and he's shoving his face into a into a china cup, and I'm like, please don't knock that on the floor. Not a cardboard box. That would have been no. very like apropos. <laughs> I know. I know. You, you had to tell the cat, look, look, look. We were just talking about boxes. Go find a box. <laughs> I don't know what's so interesting. I might have to go save it. Anyway, uh, his name is Ferris. He's a very big cat. Ah. So is anyway, so, day off. <laughs> uh, he's gonna get a day off if he breaks that cup. All right. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, and the rest of the book is fun, um, you know, and it does kind of get darker as time goes on, and they get further into into the story, and they get revealed by um, her. Then becomes X. 
and just kind of they start he and his friends start stalking her and and trying to you know get her fired and get people to to realize what they are and it's it's interesting to watch you know you know the the as much as she thinks that rich is a good guy he starts to really reveal his true colors as the story goes along wow i wonder what happens to john no you have to read it and find out (laughs) is this a series or is this a this, this this one is its own but it is part of a series um and actually, the what it refers to with with um, with the character at the very beginning, because it says um, Sam Winston, it talks about Sam Winston. There was a short story that I started working on some years ago, and I could never figure out quite how to finish it. And I will be able to finish it now. But it was originally titled The Horse Doctor. We're still looking for a better title for it, because it's not really the greatest title. But it's a, a woman who is friends with um, with what the town veterinarian and discovers at one point that he's actually a horse shapeshifter. And it kind of goes into this is prior to um, the wolves running. And it's kind of the what led up to them coming out to be no, known as existing, um, you know, and it becomes somewhat of a bigger a bigger thing. But it, at this point, that story is not finished and I've got to do a little more work to get it gone. Okay. That one's a fun story too. And it really does kind of get into, you know, before they were known and people could actively dislike them, they were, you know, kind of like, kind of like when you have people who are zoo or cryptozoologists that hunt, you know, Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot or something. So there was a group called the mystery keepers in that first story that were looking for evidence of shapeshifters and they somehow had, had like narrowed in, to what had happened with um, with Sam and Laura and the rest of the characters in that story. Okay, so there's the prequel, The Horse Doctor, yep. working title. Uh, yep. There's Wolves Running, which I guess is book one. Is there a book two? So there is going to be a book two. We're act- we've actually been working on the plot of that one, um, having a little more success at getting that one rolling, and that one's going to be called Fox and Jay Incorporated. Only one of those is a shapeshifter. You'll have to figure out which one. Um, but yeah, Fox. Fox, and, Fox and Jay. Fox and Jay Incorporated. Yeah. So, and that one's going to have a little bit of a mystery twist to it. Um, and it's going to involve some some uh, urban magic sort of things as well. So it's going to move a little bit away from being shapeshifter centric. It's still going to involve the shapeshifters though, but there's going to be um, kind of the idea of, you know, I'm not going to say like Harry Dresden, but that sort of magic existing in the real world kind of feel where it is something that magic does exist in the real world. And there are people who can manipulate it. And one of the characters is, is a, a magician that way. So that'll be interesting how that goes. Um, and I'm starting to work on that and having a lot of fun with it. Is there a uh, release date planned for that? Not yet, because I have to get through the third Kirolithian book first. I've got a lot of people going, can we please finish the story? My characters are, I don't know if you're a Monty Python fan, but if you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and there's that part of the movie where you get all the characters standing on the, standing out in the field and they're all like, get on with it. That's kind of what I feel like my characters are saying to me right now for Kirolithian. It's like, look, could we please finish this book? So Fox and Jay 
uh, is is going to be after that. But I'm working on at least the outline of what it's going to look like. So and we had a, the Carolisters book. When is that coming out? I'm hoping that will be um, late spring or early summer next year. I was originally hoping for something in January, but I got hit with three college composition classes. And those are really hard, a lot of reading and grading of papers. So it's going to be a little later than I thought. Okay. So stop. In 2024. My screen. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> we should look for the Carolismus book number three. Uh, second in 20, quarter, sometime in second 2024. Yeah. yeah. So then the sequel to Wolves Running, Fox and Jay, look for end of 2024, early 2025? Um, probably early 2025 at this point. So it's just a matter of getting to that point. If he shoves his head into this again, stop it. Stop. Yeah. Stop. So if you're listening to this in the future, we're recording yeah. this today on October the 27th of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> you can take, take a glance at Amazon and see <laughs> if it's there. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very affectionate cat but he's not making me happy right now that's all right maybe uh the cat is starring in his own urban fantasy story right now <laughs> your side character is he, might quest. he might be well he's not the brightest cat so it's you know big orange cat they only have one whoa they only have one brain cell to share between them anyway at least that's the joke, and I think I believe it. Oh wow! So uh, perhaps this cat is a pawn, and some is the cat's paw, and somebody else is a. It, it is team. definitely quite possible. Yeah, try some. Okay, that worked a little bit. I can flip Maybe your water. characters put him up to it because you're here talking about a different series and not the one they want you to be working on and, you know, and thinking about and talking about. <laughs> Do you have any characters who would do something like that? Just out of um, well, yeah, definitely there are there are some tricksters that do get into some of that. And I mean, the character Nevermore is you know a Raven, and Ravens do tend to be tricksters in most most world mythology. Um, certainly in the Native American mythology, they are a trickster character. Um, would so Nevermore put your cat up to giving you a hard time <laughs> I mean, because you're 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 talking about. You, 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 the second book in that has to wait until the third book of another series. Yeah, so they might be a little, you never know. They could be annoyed. Um, and I've got him to go down the end of the table by flicking water in his face. So I think we're okay now. But <laughs> we have rescued the, the, the cups, the computer and everything else. Um, yeah, so that's kind, of where, that's kind of where we are with the plan for um, sequels on that. And being able to, you know, get the next book out. And I do want to get the horse doctor or whatever the actual title ends up being out too, because that's kind of a fun story and it does lead into wolves running. So that's pretty cool. I like the the fact that the horse is he shifts into a horse and he's a doctor. Is he a vet? A veterinarian? He's a vet. Yeah, he's a vet. He's a small animal vet. He's not a horse vet. Um, he said then somewhere in this, in that story, it does say that he thought that would be weird. So definitely not his, not his thing, but he's a small animal that, and he meets the, he meets the main character, Laura, by ending up, um, looking after her cat. who's not like my Ferris, thankfully. 
Your Ferris has a lot of personality. <laughs> quirky. He's definitely quirky. That's so wild. So in Wolves Run, so is in Wolves Running, is there like Big Bad or like and a lot of urban fantasy, like some, you know, not all of them, certainly. Like some yeah. of them, there's the big bad, there's like some larger uh, force that they are you know having to yeah it's not so much a big bad like you know a menacing force of evil that i think you're going to see more in fox and jay that's going to be more there um in this case it's more just the prejudice that her ex and his group of friends bring to bear on the shapeshifter community and sasha and john in particular um, you know, spoiler, they do end up together, Sasha and John. Aww. So, you know, that's a good thing. It's very sweet little romance going on. But yeah, the, the big bad in that case is the fact that they, you've got these people who are very prejudiced and they are just deciding, and certainly her ex is deciding to take his anger and frustration with the fact she breaks up with him out on them. And he, of course, blames, you know, he blames John and it's not so much John's fault as it is just the way the world has to go at that point, if they're not going to be able to be tolerant. Right, right. So you mentioned magic in that world. How does there the magic, is. Yeah, how does the shapeshift, is it the shapeshifting in, in your book seems, it seems different than what I've read in other book series. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, he was a wolf and then he wasn't. Like there wasn't like that whole, like, you know, the, it, Bone snapping, muscle shifting. Yeah, it's a it's a little more gentle um, than that. It is using more magic to do transformation than it is, um, you know, the whole thing of everything hurting and being painful and all that. Um, you know, and I, it's more because of the mythology of the story, I think, than anything else. So there is actually a myth in this in the book that she get, does she tells um, she ends up telling one of her other friends Tanya and uh, the mythology mm -hmm. basically behind like the the background of the shapeshifters mm -hmm. and it's more that you know humans the you know this other animal had come into being long long time ago and they were kind of you know might have accidentally been setting fire to things and you know the other animals were concerned about this but they couldn't communicate with this creature because they, they just didn't have the language. So one of the wisest of them appealed to, you know, the force of the universe, they call it the all and, you know, said, Hey, we, we really need to be able to communicate with this, with this, you know, creature and try to be able to um, try to be able to get it to, you know, kind of not ruin things. And so they, they get represented, representatives basically of all the different animal species um you know to to come forth and the spirit kind of gifts them with this power of being able to change into people so they can communicate with this species so they're animals that started as animals and are have kind of a god-given gift to be able to become um to be able to become human does that come with the expectation that they're going to use that power to stop humanity from destroying the world well, <laughs> and like, you know, to be better to the environment. environment? Yeah. It kind of does have that kind of feel to it. And I mean, they, they mitigate things as much as they can 
you know, they don't want to reveal who they are, so they have to kind of work behind the scenes. So that's kind of how it comes about. So there's there's a lot of that. But yeah, they they there is the idea that they are present in everyday life and try to do try to keep things from getting completely out of balance. Right, right. What do they think of all this global warming and stuff? <laughs> uh, I haven't really talked about that all that much. Yeah. But I imagine there's some very angry polar bear shifters that uh, would be like, hey, you know, the ice, you know, that ice thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dude, could, so like, I always wonder this in the shift after ones that, you know, that have that sort of mythological underpinning. If at some point the God that gave them that power to become, to be both animal and, and human so they could communicate with humans. If, if the shifters don't hold up their end of the bargain and don't have some effect on humanity to stop its depredations of the environment, mm -hmm. what will, what will that God, do, what will that force, that spirit, that God do as, you know, as, as, you know, as the warming continues, as the world continues to warm and change and once every hundred years, storms become once a week. Um, you know, like, like, is there ever like, when would the, is there some, what, you know, what would they do? Like, they going to take back that power or like, I always wonder that. Hold on. Please move him away. Thank you. I'm trying to play charades to get the cat off the table. It was not working. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that is something that is very much the case that if um, if the gods, you know, or if they, they didn't uphold what the god had, the, their god had asked them <coughs> to do, they certainly would have um, that power stripped from them. And I think, you know, certainly that's going to be something that is going to come up as an issue mm. later on in one of the books. Yeah. Oh, oh good. I was hoping so, somebody would tackle that. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be in Fox and Jay. It might be. Because right. definitely some interesting ideas that we've been playing around with that. <coughs> Excuse me. Dry throat. Um you're allowed to drink water. It's okay. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> it's I, not I, prison. I <laughs> yeah, I always I have the know, IC. I know. Go on. No. So there's definitely some things in in that that are are going to be approaching, like the idea of magic and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And <clears throat> there's somebody who has discovered potentially a way to usurp the power of the shapeshifters and use it against them is kind of part of the plot that um, we're going to see with Fox and Jay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I was wondering like if that God sport fear it, like at some point we're going to do something that pushes them too far with the earth. And I feel like just, just looking at <coughs> the weather news and just the news in general that we can't be too far oh. off from that point. <laughs> oh yeah. No. With some of the things that that go on, there's some of that that I'm sure is gonna is gonna show up. Um, so that's that's all in development right now. Mm. That's something that we have I've started outlining, and I've tossed some ideas around with a couple of friends. So we'll see how it goes. That's cool because I I, I want to read that. I think that's. Have you gotten I, through Wolves Running? I don't know if you'd gotten through it. Not yet. Uh, yeah, sure my TBR a, a is like 10 TBR. miles long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a big pile. 
Now I have a stack about three deep, um, three layers deep of books that I've got to read that I don't have. And then Audible to. just keeps having sales, which doesn't help. <laughs> well, I can't do audiobooks; They put me to sleep. So you can imagine me editing the audio files for my books. <laughs> and I have to literally have the, my book open and just na- nail myself to it to be able to do it without falling asleep. I love them. <laughs> my husband does too. They just, they just don't work for me. I'm very much more of a visual person. And I have to be able to see the words to really be able to to click in. We tried doing it on road trips and we had some success like Jim Butcher's Aeronauts Windless, the first book in that series. I could not get it's into inspired. that. I loved it. And we listened I to the just, audiobook reading of it. Uh, and it was so good. That I really, was a slog liked it. for me, that one. I but really like, enjoyed I, that, but it did not put me to sleep. So yeah, no, it, it's, it's very well acted. I just the story, I, the characters didn't click for me. Hmm. Um, it's not him because I've read most of the Dresden books. And oh, I, yeah. I do like his writing, <laughs> but it just I, did I not click cat, for me. The cats, the cats in that ser- in that book are fantastic, and I haven't read the second one, so I don't know. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. But going back to the audiobook thing, like I, I love audiobooks because I have had vision problems my entire life. <laughs> like mm-hmm. reading on the page has always been a struggle for me, and like so, audiobooks was like I can, I can enjoy books without the frustration of, like I didn't know until I was fifteen that the reason I couldn't really see all that well was that I needed that everybody else could see and that. I couldn't see well that well because my vision wasn't great and I needed right. glasses, but I didn't know that because it, my vision was like, you know, wasn't, I, I don't know if it was ever good and it just got progressively worse so slowly. I didn't notice that you were supposed to be able to see the leaves and the trees. If you're standing on, out in the field, if you look at down, you're supposed to be able to see the grass, the individual grass well, blades. I didn't know that until I was 15 and they got, they gave, they put on those first pair of glasses and I was like, right. Oh God, is this what, <laughs> Everybody, this is what life is like for everyone else. So, like, I've never, I was never able to read the boarding school. Yeah, I, you know, like we were taking tests and like don't look at people's paper. I was like, wait, like, why? I was always like confused as to why that was like they didn't want you looking at people's papers. I was like, because I could, it was all just a blur <laughs> for me. So I, I had to be an audio learner because I could not. I have no idea what was on the board, and we're not supposed to look at other people's papers. Not that I could read them anyways, <laughs> but um. And now with working on computers and things, I struggle with eye strain. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was teaching from home during this whole thing, of course, I'm writing and I'm doing the teaching and I'm doing all this stuff online and grading papers and everything. I ended up um, turning the color down or changing the color in the background of the computer, oh, yeah. putting oh, a blue blocker screen across the yep. across the thing, getting right my new glasses <laughs> that had the blue block to it. So I did everything in my power oh, quick, to make quick it so tips. I could see. For my fellow glasses wearers, if you get the transitions coding on your glasses, it blocks blue light. Oh, that's cool. That's part of like, like the, I, cause I, when we first heard about these blue light things, I asked the optometrist and he's like, he's like, you don't need that. It's, you're getting transitions. It blocks. He's like, that's what transitions are. They block blue light. He's like, he showed me when I got the, cause I didn't believe him yeah. and, and it has a blue shine to it. And he's like, that's how you can tell. And I was like, oh, oh I had no idea. He's like, if it's not blocking enough, you, that's where you go to a hardware solution. Yes. <laughs> you know, 
um because our screens are exceptionally bright and they are putting out a lot of blue light which is not oh, yeah. awesome for our eyeballs no and it, it hurts the <laughs> Take eye care your eyeballs. when i first started doing the online teaching thing that that um that very sad march you know we we had actually been planning a trip to london with a bunch of students and and you know a month before we're due to go everything mm. shuts down we're like well that's not happening um I'm an introvert, so when everything shut down, I was like, yes, <laughs> I can just sit here and write, and I don't, there's no FOMO, there's uh, no, like, there's no, like, oh, we're going to go here, and you're like, oh, that sounds so fun, but I really yeah, well, write. That, there's none of that anymore. Much. It was like, nothing no. is happening. I can that's just thing I had with write. The ice train, no guilt, so. no FOMO. Yeah, no, the ice train was was bad, but yeah, no, I, I, I kind of get the FOMO thing, too, because I like going out and doing trivia nights every other week with some of my coworkers, and so I did miss all of that. And it's, I'm not as much of an introvert, apparently. So I'm a total introvert. Before the pandemic, my, cousin, my cousins and I used to go to the Marvel movies. And I like the pandemic happened. I saw none of that. Yep. <laughs> because they weren't going, they were like watching it on Netflix and all that other Disney Plus or whatever the heck it's on. I don't, I'm poor, don't have any of the streaming services. So it was like, hey, we're not getting together. I have no streaming service. I'm just going to write. I, can't watch it so <laughs> yep yeah i mean it was good for getting writing done and certainly other projects i certainly won't disagree yeah. with that you know getting carelessness finished and finalized and all of that with the mm. crystal pawn you know getting the art cover art done all mm -hmm. the other things that needed to be done you know that it was great for being able to to actually do writing and, and everything yes. well i'm like I'm back in the middle of the world and i took on the you know the national english honor society advisorship this year and i'm like why did i do this because it'll look great on your resume now oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, no. for when you're when you're looking for a job in colorado that google's helping you plan the move <laughs> no it's more nobody else would take it and i'm like well we can't just let it go so i guess i'm taking it ah uh, but see now you volunteer and you can never get rid of it you're gonna be doing it every year i know but at least i'll know what i'm doing next year so that'll make a big difference I'm sure something will change and you'll be like, wait, this is supposed to be easier. That's just the nature of things. Yeah. Well, don't tell anybody, but I, one of my coworkers and I are talking about doing a trip to Greece and Rome with some of the students. So we're starting to talk about that, but that'll be a big nice. process. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun thing to do. And I'm looking forward to actually having a trip that does not have a pandemic attached to it. But you'll also have to be educating them. It won't all be fun and games. <laughs> well, the tour guide. The tour guide does a lot of the educating. I just am going along, so it'll be fun. And my friend who wants to do it is a social studies teacher. So between the two of us, me with mythology and him with, uh, you know, his knowledge of ancient Greece and Rome will be fine. You're going to get all the bases covered. That sounds like I a think fun you got trip. it. Yep. I'm not going back to school so I can join this. But <laughs> <laughs> Is tempting. <laughs> well, that's fun it is, yeah. But yeah, that's it's pretty cool. That's so wild. All right. So, why do you call it the Symphonium series? Where does that name come from? So, I've been waiting to find a place to slip that in because I've been looking at that name. Like, where do we get that from? <laughs> so, honestly, it was something that came to me, and this is going to tie back to one of our other trips that my husband and I took. We ended up going to Chicago. And before we settled doing stuff in the city, because we had plans to go and, well, we're back to Harry Dresden. We had to go and look at Harry Dresden stuff. We do book trips. It's weird. We, um, we landed in O'Hare and we rented a car and we drove up to Wisconsin and we went to the House on the Rock because 
you know, Neil Gaiman, The House on the Rock, uh, American Gods. We, we, we were dying to go and go see The House on the Rock, right? I've never so heard we of the House on the Rocks. I've read American Gods, and I've never heard of the House on the Rock. Well, it's the scene where they go, and there's the giant carousel. Oh, okay. So there was like I didn't realize there was like real places. It's uh, oh yeah. Like, there was so many things in that book that were clearly not real that I was like, okay, this is all kind of made yeah, up. The House on the Rock does exist, and it has a, a carousel. It's five layers of animals deep. Wow. And it's it's crazy have you ever been through an ikea no okay well the nearest I, ikea is 90 minutes away and i just have not had like it, it's kind amazon of amazon like, delivers i don't really I, I need know. to yeah, drive right? 90 minutes to ikea <laughs> I, I approve um but no if you if you ever do go through an ikea you'll get kind of an idea what it's like because the house on the rock is the world's biggest collection of collections and you have the house which is actually a house that somebody lived in built on top of this huge freaking slab of rock. And then you've got the museum, which winds around and down and next to the rock and around the rock and behind the rock and above, you know, all over the place. And it's just this absolutely crazy art installation and building that has like collections of antique toy cars or Burma shave ads or um Fabergé eggs or china sets or miniature circuses or you know anything you can think of anything you can think of and one of the things that they have are these are these um musical things and some of what is you know there's they play music they various different songs different ones play different songs there's one that plays something from the mikado and it's kind of an uh, an, an asian feel to it it's very very cool if you look it up you can find it and one of they they're referred to in what i remember they were referred to as symphoniums so the idea is it's something that is not what it appears to be Oh, okay. You know, because the, a lot of the instruments aren't really playing, but they look like they are. Um, and it was funny because we actually went, my friend Chris, when we went to um, when we went to Colorado, we had stopped at um, Meow Wolf. I don't know if you've heard that. There's another no. art installation awesomeness. And there's three or four of them now. One's in, in Las Vegas, one's in Colorado, there's another one in New Mexico. And I think they just opened a fourth also, and I think it's also in New Mexico. And they're all different, like, themes in each one of them. And the one in, in Denver is this idea of the convergence center. And you're converging four different worlds, and there's a whole plot and theme and story and everything. But they actually had um, a symphonium in one of the rooms where it looked like the drum was playing itself. And there was, like, I think it was, like, a harpsichord or something that was playing itself or a piano. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like the thing. And I immediately took pictures and, and sent them to my husband. I'm like, look, it's like the House on the Rock. So the symphoniums in the House on the Rock, some of the instruments play, but most of them don't. So some parts of it you might see, like, hammers hitting glass jars to make noise. Those, I think, actually do play in some of the drums. But there's this whole huge, one, one of these is this huge thing that looks like a symphony orchestra in this massive room. And there's mannequins playing violins. They're not really playing, though. And there's recordings that are attached to the violins or speakers that are attached to the violins that play the music. 
So it was the idea basically with the symphonium, it's a long-winded explanation, that it's um, it's something that is not what it appears to be. It's something that is looks like it's doing one thing when it's doing something else. And with the idea that they're hiding their identities, that's where the idea of the shapeshifter symphonium came from. Oh, I see. So so it's it's their height. Okay. They appear to be. They're not really human. They're not really yeah. what they appear to be, but they look like it, and you think they might be. So that's the long-winded part of it. So shapeshifters are not really human. They're not really human. No. No. They've evolved over the centuries and millennia that they a lot of them live like humans, like her family pretty much spends most of its time and they're born looking human, but then they do change. So it's kind of shifted over time. Like they're no longer born as animals for the most part. They're born as human beings or they look like humans, but then they do change eventually. Um, originally, you know, when the, when the, the deity that they have mm -hmm. granted it to them, it changed them into people that could, you know, communicate, but could still become animals. Um, and it's just kind of over time, the families have kind of like, okay, we're going to stay in human form to be able to communicate most of the time, but we will still maintain this, you know, identity of being a shapeshifter. And that's most of the families. <clears throat> there are some families that live way up in the mountain and it talks about them in the book that there are some that live way up in the mountains or live far away from human culture that do stay mostly in their human, in their animal form and that they prefer that because they don't want to associate. So there is kind of a split even amongst the shapeshifters as to, you know, what's the proper way to do things. How often do they have to change into a wolf? Are they forced by the, the, the cycles of the moon or well, do they just usually, get they, to choose? They, do they, they have, have to spend a certain of, amount of a year? Yeah. Usually they, they have to change at least once every couple of weeks to, to maintain. And for you know, how long do they have to stay in the wolf form? A couple of hours, maybe just enough to kind of satisfy that side of themselves to be able to get that out. If they don't change and they get caught up in human affairs, like it, one of the things and one of the ways that the, the characters in um, the horse doctor discover that they, you know, they discover that the, the vet is a shapeshifter is he got really busy and he forgot to change. And it came upon him when he was out one day and he had to kind of, you know, make a break for it down the alley and see what he could do to hide out long enough that he could change back. Oh, I see. So if you wait too long, then you're stuck in your, uh, in your other form until you you're going to change whether you want to or not. Yeah. So you can either do it on your own time or deal with the consequences. Pretty much. You're, you're, either going to, you're either going to make the decision to have a schedule you know, or it's going to sneak up on you. So that's pretty wild. So then are there people out there who are looking for ways to prolong how long they can stay in either form, either human or wolf? I don't think I've actually had that, that come up. Um, and that's an interesting twist. There might be some that are like, yeah, I don't even want to be human anymore. I just want to stay in wolf form. And th there are some of the tribes that are more consistently staying in wolf form. And they might want to be able to walk away from that, but I haven't, I haven't explored that yet. That's a good idea though. Yeah. Or like, or they decide to become a politician or something and they're mm -hmm. 
they're oh, there are some. running for office and it might be difficult to break away for a few hours to run around as a wolf or a whatever and not get caught, especially if you have a security detail, you know? Um, so like somebody like that who has power, who like is seeking power and prestige in the human world might yep. need to extend that clock. Right. And I mean, they, they, there is, there are some politicians that are shapeshifters that's established um, in the beginning of wolves running. It's definitely part of that. Um, and they do have, they, they do have to find a way to satisfy that. But I mean, you know, you go to bed and nobody's in the bedroom and you just curl up as a wolf overnight. Well, that probably would satisfy it too, at least to some extent. Oh, okay. So you don't have to run around. The yeah. You don't necessarily have to go run in, the, run in the woods and howl at the moon. You just have to spend time in that shape. Interesting. And that's, it's mostly interesting with the psychology of that, like mm -hmm. how, how, like every, how each person deals with the fact that they have that sort of dual nature that they need. They're both human and not, and they have to satisfy right. both sides. Yeah, and so it's kind of a twist on some of the some of the shapeshifter stuff that I've seen, but um, it's a little it's a little more nuanced, I think, in mm. just the way that it, they they have to deal with it, and it's much more civilized. It's not like, oh yes, I am the alpha of the pack, and you're all gonna. No, it's yeah, more based on what actual wolf. Yeah, it's more based on what actual wolf packs do, because it's not an alpha situation. You know that that that's a myth. That's something that's been perpetuated for a long time in, in a lot of societies and it's not really the way wolf society works no you know, it's more it, of a it's, family unit and family structure yeah it's something that humanity put upon the wolves because mm -hmm. they wanted it because they right. want this alpha right. power structure i've never liked the alphas and the alpha holes and i mean that might have been been perpetuated i feel like by rudyard kipling when he wrote uh, mowgli's brothers because that idea of the Akela, who is the the head of the pack, and so I mean, and get challenged and get taken down because he was but, old. And but wait, wait, but Rudyard Kipling was writing in like a not in recent times. It's well, not all I the mean. scientific evidence that has come between. Yeah. So it's okay that he did it. They didn't have all the the science, and there weren't you know scientists going out and living with the wolves and reporting right. their behavior like there is now. Which I mean, there was some now. of that then, but you know they were also looking at it through a very different lens. But a lot of that got into the social consciousness of people, and is stuck. And I think that's where we, we still see that, I think, with the werewolf fantasies, a lot of that, and some of the shapeshifter things. Oh, yeah. So it yeah, just kind of gets stuck in the consciousness. And I think a lot of people romanticize, oh, the yes. strong, masculine, oh, and it's like, nah, that's not really the way it works, guys. Yeah. So if you're yeah. writing about characters that are not werewolves and they're shapeshifters and they're based more on what normal animals react to and do it makes more sense to write it the way I did. So. Yeah. And like, I, 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 I totally agree with you. Like a lot of shapeshifter fiction is, it is heavily influenced by power politics. Mm -hmm. like it's so heavily ingrained in them. Right. And like, so it's, it's nice when you find something that's not, doesn't have all that. Because you get tired of, it's yeah. the same thing over and over again. Oh, and so and, many out there. And they there's use so the alpha to excuse really horrendous bad you know behavior you yeah, know 
Absolutely. Like shocking and like really dangerous behavior besides. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I very much like Patricia Briggs and I know that yes. she kind of heads more into that ideal and, but she does it in a way that doesn't like make me tweak. Um, the whole faded mate thing and everything. I just yeah. throw my hands up and I'm like, okay, I get it. It's sexy, I guess. But that goes back to that whole twin flames thing and the yeah. whole, like everybody like soulmate thing. And it's like, uh, I don't know. We must have that one that, you know. Yeah, and and it's not, that's not always the case. You could have many soulmates. You could have no soulmate because maybe you're, you know, there's there's billions of people on the planet, but you may not meet that one person for you. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's it's such a, it's, yeah, I mean, like to be in the same place at the same time is, it happens for some, but maybe not for everybody. So I get why it's a fantasy. Oh, yeah, because it seems very romantic and it seems like, oh, well, that would solve all my problems and this person would just know me. And it's like, no, it would create a lot of issues yeah, too. Create a <laughs> Do lot you really issues. want someone who's exactly like you? Because I feel like that might be kind of disastrous because they would have all your bad habits too. <laughs> you know, having, having somebody who's different than you is beneficial because. There, you aren't going to see your own problems, but they are likely to see your own see your problems and point them out to you. So, yes, but not if they share the same problem. Then exactly. You, then you could become kind of a disaster. Exactly. They could be very dysfunctional. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So that's kind of why I went the way I did with it. No, it's a cool way to go with it. I, I like that it like I said, I'm not a big fan of some of the power politics and stuff. I right. think that's why um I like Jane, the Jane Yellow Rock series. Like there is some of the power politics, but like Jane is having none of that. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm just she's also the baddest bitch in the room. So right. <laughs> like, you know, right. um they can do all the power politics they want. She's still gonna take them out. <laughs> I think that's why I like that. Oh yeah. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you, is there anything else you want to say about Wolves Running? Or? I mean, just, it, it's, a, it's a fun story. You know, I had a lot of fun writing it. it you do get into some of the other animal species. And eventually um, you, you do kind of see like her school life as well. And kind of getting a sense for what it's like being a teacher and being in her position and how some of the people in her department react. Cause some of them are like, Oh, super cool. When they find out. And some of them are like really, really hesitant. Um, so you get a lot of that, that range of how people react to things, um, you know, and how people react to with, with things they're not sure about. So that was super fun. Um, you know, kind of exploring that and getting into, you know, kind of getting to know John. I, I love John as a character He's actually probably one of my favorite characters I've written just because he's very sweet. Um, you know, he's very strong in his own way and he's pretty tough, but he's also very sweet and somewhat naive because he comes into this and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not getting instructed. I mean, and certainly when he, she takes him home to dinner, there's a, a little altercation that occurs between, um, between the main character, Sasha, and one of her cousins over John. And, you know, just some of the, again, pack politics, but not something that is, you know, oh, I strong big wolf. It wasn't like that. It's more, you know, something a little bit more um, 
more basic, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil it because it is kind of fun. No, is it do Sasha and John return in the sequel, or is it a different? Group I don't of know yet. I, I stage probably will see them referenced um, because I'm not sure because the the next book, um, Fox and Jay, is going to be set where I live, so I'll have a little bit better time of you know. I, you're I've, not going to use this as for a research trip to Colorado. Uh, no. <laughs> No, I mean I've I've written things that are set in Rome, and I did actually end up going to Rome and and actually seeing a lot of it um, at one point, just because that was that was something my mom had left us some money, and I ended up going with my best friend to Rome, and I'm like, well, we're here, let's uh, let's check this out for the book I was working on that's not out yet. I'll be getting to that at some point. Um, I'm gonna build up to that one. I'm gonna finish that one right. But you know, I I tend to like to write about places that I've been or have seen or have experienced. So this one is going to be set in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and it's going to be a little bit more accessible. Um, and it will be things that I know about. We're trying to figure out if we can find a way to, to get pony henge into the story, but I'm not sure it's going to make it. I don't know if you've ever heard of pony henge. I have heard of it because I am from the Northeast. <laughs> I've been to it. It was pretty funny. I've not been, but I, it's, it's, I've heard of it. Um, <laughs> it's I the just, weirdest thing. It's one of those I mean, weird Atlas yeah. Obscura kind of things. I mean, there's a lot of weird things in the Northeast. This yes. is stuff in Connecticut. This yep. is stuff that's like completely like, okay, why would you do that? <laughs> We're no, not going to get into totally... New York. It has its fair share of WTF in all caps with triple yep. exclamation points. <laughs> but I definitely think we're gonna we're gonna see some travel down to the Cape, and there's gonna be some things that are set like there's a staircase to nowhere up north in New Hampshire oh, that cool. probably add in as one of the points, um, you know, and possibly the I cabin. Have actually, been to New Hampshire. Good, good. I mean, oh no, no, actually, I haven't. I've been to Vermont. Oh. That's right. Never mind. I'm sorry. I went to no, your it's okay. neighbor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the no, other triangle. The other side. It's the other side. Yeah. No, it's, it's I thought we did. Right. I thought we crossed over in because we were hiking, but like now I, I don't I'm not sure if we did. Maybe. We were hiking uh up there. It's often pretty. Not, not a label. It is a really pretty area. I really do like living here. Um but like I said, this book, the next book is going to be set in an area I've been to and I know and I can be like, hey, yeah, I know what this yeah. is. So it'll make no, it easier to write. And I won't be getting weird things from Google going, hey, are you moving to Colorado? So Yeah, yeah. If I tend to write, if I write anything that's set in this real world, it's usually set in somewhere. It's usually set somewhere in the lower southern part of New York that I know yeah, <laughs> that I've know, been right? roaming around. Wrong. There's a couple of places that, yeah, I changed the name, but like, if you ever like people who live there would recognize exactly yeah, what I'm talking about and be like, wait, I know which town you're talking about. Cause I'll oh, just yeah. use the county name instead of the town name. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a friend who set something um, in our hometown. Marvel started it. I just want to say oh, that. Yeah, like, yeah, Westchester is not a town in, in New York. <laughs> It's a county oh. that a million people live in. <laughs> but so know. since he started referring to it like it's its own town, which it's not, I was like, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> I actually live in Westchester. 
there's, there's, there's a, million a lot other of people. places that play around with places that you live. You know, you get into like DC Comics and it talks about Gotham and you're like, oh, an Arkham Asylum. And you're like, oh, you know, is that some someplace actually obvious. Boston? Is it New York? What exactly is it? I mean, Gotham um, is, is probably New York. Yeah. But then again, what's Metropolis? Then you kind of have to ask that too. That's definitely not New York. No. Because cool. it's definitely not New York, uh, Metropolis. Mm. Uh, it's. I always thought it was Chicago or it's somewhere. It's definitely somewhere like maybe West. Philadelphia could be. Philadelphia. No, Metropolis is definitely like Chicago okay. or like something in the Midwest because it's just, just because it, you go outside of the city and there's corn and stuff and mm. you don't, there's none of that does not exist on the East coast. <laughs> um, you know, East of Ohio, that's not a thing. So, you know, we don't we don't have that kind of flat land. No, we um, don't. Definitely not. Yeah, but like Gotham City is definitely New York. Um, just just the 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 variety of locations and things like are, they're direct analogs for places in New York City. Okay. I'm not um, as familiar with New York as I am with Boston. And somebody at one point had floated the idea that it might be uh, Boston. Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> Not buying it. <laughs> Not buying it. But because we, you know, we have the prison right there. Yeah. Like it's this. It's just there's too many things mm -hmm. that are like oh, like like if I was reading like when I've read the Batman comics, like I know what street they're walking down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like because you know it's like. Oh, so you know, there'll be a, the thing. I'll be like, oh, that's Alphabet City, or oh, that's this part of the city. I, I, you know, um, yep. yeah. But I, I like it, and it's it's cool that they that they do stuff like that. They they have the analogs. Like Marvel was like, nah, man, we're just gonna call it New York City, and we're just gonna destroy it like every few comic books. <laughs> So yeah. as, a, as being a teenager, I, I enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. They're destroying my city again. <laughs> How are it's they doing like it this time? Tromping on Tokyo, you know, it's like, oh, there it goes again. Yeah, but New York is, you know, they're so, it's, it's got, it's just, it's got like from a, like from like a superhero perspective or like aliens invading, it's all, you can see me, if you've ever flown over New York City, you can see it from pretty high up oh yeah you know with all the lights and things so i completely the first time i ever took a flight out of new york i completely understood why it was always the epicenter of everything because mm. you could see it from like pretty far away yeah. you know and like yeah it's a you know it's just a nice little like bullseye right there I remember thinking about that about Los Angeles. I had flown in to go to a mythology conference actually up in Goleta, which was really bizarre. I took a bus. I didn't know what I, I didn't know California at all, but I figured I'd fly into Los Angeles as it was the closest place to the Pacifica Institute, which is Joseph Campbell's big whoop de doo mm -hmm. out there. And uh, I remember, you know, flying in, doing the trip, coming back, and we flew out at night to, to head home. And you could, you could it just, Los Angeles is just spreads out and the yeah. light is just crazy. It really is. Yeah. It's so just, some places are like that. New York, it, Los yes. Angeles, some places are just like that. But New York is a little bit, it's, it's very much, it's all centralized, the lights. And then yep. there's little lights out, you know, outwards, like from, and like, like, cause I grew up like about an hour north of the city and like, 
that area is there's a few little twinkly lights, but mostly it's dark. It's in yep. LA is a total different. It is just a sea of lights around it. It just oh, doesn't it seem is. to yeah. have an end. I remember that the few, I've flown in I've flown to California a few times. Yep. Um, very long flight from New York. <laughs> yes, it's not fun. Long flight, flight from Boston goes. too. Yeah. yeah, it's just the flight doesn't feel like it's gonna end. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's just, just the, the 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 fun of like traveling and stuff. Oh yeah, I didn't do a lot of traveling up until about you know maybe about ten fifteen years ago, and then I started, and then after my mom died, we did a few trips that we went places to see things, and that it's been kind of interesting since. I've been the reverse. I did a lot of traveling between high school and like, uh like between in like the early 2000s and I got like you know a real job and couldn't do you know in the office and right do as much traveling because it's, it's exhausting when like you only have like a week and you have to like fit in getting there packing mm -hmm. you know then you have to get back you have to do your thing get back get everything ready go back to, you know to commute back to the office yep. the next day and it, it just sort of wears you out um especially when you can't you're you're place of work doesn't it gives you a hard time if you try to take more than a week at a time yeah oh so, yeah no well my my lost. work gives me a hard time if i try to take a friday off before a vacation so everything has to be scheduled or monday off so everything has to be scheduled within the week that we get mm -hmm. for vacation and uh you know sometimes that makes it a challenge yeah it can be exhausting, but it, yeah. it's still it's still rewarding. Like I do want to get back and do some traveling to get to. Oh, I've yeah. never been to a convention, um, which is hilarious because the New York Comic Con, like I could just the train is outside is a mile from my apartment. I could literally take it down there and walk to the Javits Center. I've been to the Javits for other things, mm. but I've not gone because just I'm always working. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I get that. But I want to, I want to make a point of doing that maybe in 2024. I don't know. I need to. Did you hear that Worldcon is going to be in Seattle in 2025? I did not. Yeah. I've never been to Seattle. That would be. I uh, haven't either, but I'm thinking that going to Worldcon would be good. They're in Scotland next summer. And that was very tempting to go to Glasgow. But I said the amount of money that it would take to get there and the plane fare and the hotels and all of that. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm trying to remember. I went to Scotland. Yeah. And I went around Scotland. I just don't remember all the places we went to. It was one of those things. I was studying abroad in London and we took an eight hour bus overnight. Yep. yep. We didn't really sleep because my my friend from the, a different college decided that we should go to a local, you know, uh, hub and get and have a few drinks and and we got these like after eight shooters they tasted like after eight mints yep. and like you didn't i didn't realize how much alcohol was in them until she i'm trying to hold her off <laughs> we're swaying our way to victoria coat station <laughs> um like two 20 you know 20 year old idiots it's what to um, do yeah yeah and then we took a tour a bus tour from Edinburgh around into the Highlands. I oh, cannot nice. remember. It was beautiful, but freezing because it was it was February when we went, yeah. and it was very cold. It snowed, 
and still people pulled off their clothes and went into Loch Ness. I was like, nah, it's okay. I'm I think from, I'll pass. I'll pass. I was like, I'm from the East Coast. I know exactly how cold that water is. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> nah, that's like that's like Atlantic. That's like the Atlantic Ocean. We don't go in that after a certain point of the year yep. because it's freezing. <laughs> Yeah, surprisingly cold. Surprisingly, yeah. it's cold up our way until usually around like early August, and then it stays warm probably till the end of September, and then it's cold again. So you know, unless you have a great deal of fortitude, swimming is kind of truncated. Plus, now we have sharks up in. Or it's uh, hot. If it's hot. Or it's then... more hot. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Cape There's now like... has got a lot of great white sharks. So you know, one of the places I used to go down to visit my cousins in the Cape and everything. I'm not going to go swimming anymore. I did not know that. Yeah, I know the there are sharks and things out on Long Island because that is actually what Jaws was based on. Yeah. The shark attacks out in Long Island. Yeah. Um, I think there was the, when it references the New Jersey beach, it's actually, cause I read a book about it. It's referencing that, that area, Long Island. Yes. It's actually Long and, Island. Uh, yeah. So it references that, but it's actually the island that Amity is supposed to be built on is either Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. I'm not sure which. But Amityville, where the Amityville Horror is, oh, is I know. in I, Long I, Island. I Amityville, I know. My cousins know. keep trying to get me to go to that. And I'm like, no, this is a, we do not go to abandoned, like, psych wards. We do not go to the, no, right. we don't. I'm not, I'm not in, I'm an epic fantasy author, not a horror writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't exactly. go to the horror places. No, thank you. I've had to, because I, I grew up in the Hudson Valley. I grew up with the headless horseman and Ichabod oh, yeah. Crane and all of that. I was like, that's enough. Thank you. <laughs> I, ironically, we're going to be in the Hudson Valley, like uh, sometime next week. Cause we're going to a conference. So oh, where are you going? It's the Hudson Valley Resort Hotel, I think, and uh, it's out. It's out in I don't even know the name of where it is. I'm terrible at it, but it's you know we're going out there for the conference. Like, I have to Google that because I'm like curious. Because <laughs> like everything is named Hudson Valley, like something because you know, and the Hudson Valley is actually kind of big. Yeah, it's not yeah. small. Yeah. No, and I think they might have changed the name of the conference center. I'm not sure, but yeah, we've got we've got a three day weekend that we haven't had this conference in probably four ah, years now. That's upstate. It says it's yeah. in Kerhonkson. Yeah, that's upstate. what it is. There it's it like, is. Yeah, that I saw Catskill and I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, it's, are up, beautiful. it's up there a little bit. So we're going up. Yeah, there it's a little north, but yeah, if you ever down New York City way. Shoot me a message and I'll I will. catch up with you. <laughs> and now we'll have to visit. All right. I think we've like got on long enough. We should bring this an hour and a half. land <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> Since we've been we've been flying around all these different locations. But it's, but it's um, interesting kind of talking because you know a yeah. lot of the things that we do in places we go influence what we write, I think. Yes. I I yes. And I'm, yes, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I, yes, I will not, I'm not going to tell the grave. I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about Halloween and all the spooky, like the, the whole talk of the Headless Horseman reminded me of the spooky cemeteries and all the times I've been dared to go <laughs> to, to, to do the, 
the tarot card. I don't do the readings. I don't know how, but yeah. to, to go with people to do tarot card readings at the spooky cemeteries like Heaven's Gate and other places. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Or or the let's take the Ouija board because this is what bored college students in Hudson Valley do. Let's go to the graveyard with the Ouija board because that can only end well. Let's not do that. Let's take. Yeah. Let's, let's say we did and then not. Yeah, I'm, I will save that for a Halloween podcast. So I'll tell you all the ridiculous stories of like the, the silly things that you do when you're a college student in the Hudson Valley. And Absolutely. you don't you don't have the, the the money to you don't have the money to go into the city to do anything. So you're stuck trying to entertain yourselves right. north, of, north of the city <laughs> and do things that are free. But kind of freaky <laughs> yeah i mean you know but we i think everybody does that when they're young so i don't know about that like just i i i mean maybe they do i don't know um i feel like i don't know i don't maybe i i it, i think we're gonna stop here yeah it's probably <laughs> thank a good you idea so much for coming on here oh, thank so you we'll for have, having me again you're welcome and you're welcome to come back. So we'll have Deborah back for her next book. And um, we'll find out an update. Like, which book came out next? Did the short yeah. story happen prequel? Is it still the horse doctor? Like, many questions that we've raised here. We'll see if we can get answers to on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So check out Wolves Running and The Crystal Pawn. And I and The Crystal Pawn has an audiobook. The Crystal Pawn has an audiobook. And its sequel, The Ivory Queen, has an audiobook. Yes. Yeah. So, um I know where I'll be going after this. <laughs> well, I have to post this. It doesn't post itself and edit it, but after that. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been another episode of Fantasy Lore and More. I am Linda Cazera, your indie fantasy author, and we've been talking to Deborah Jarvis about Wolves Running, The Crystal Pond, and like 500 other things, <laughs> as happens on here. Um you can check us out at the links in the show notes or the description and um, follow my next Kickstarter. It's for a trilogy of rogue gods with a heist in hell and all sorts of insanity, including time travel, time traveling witches and just all sorts of like ridiculous insanity. <laughs> it's like, so yeah. And we'll see you next time with another author and another fantasy book. Have a good one. Thank you so much.